Welcome to Talk with Renee Dallow, biz chat for wedding pros and creatives. Tune in every week for no BS real talk from industry experts that want to help you thrive in your business and your life. Here's your host, event planner, educator, and sushi addict, Renee Dallow. Grab a glass and get ready to talk it out. Hello, hello, friends. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Talk with Renee Dallow. It's me, Renee Dallow. One day I'm going to say something. I'm going to say a different name just to mess with you guys because I, I'm entertaining myself here in my room by myself. This week, I am joined by the very, very, very fabulous David Pressman. David, how are you today? I'm fabulous. That's a great answer. <laughs> we were talking before we press record about how the world is ending. So if you can still be fabulous amongst yes. all of this chaos, yeah. I, I, am, I admire you even more than I did five minutes ago. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what's funny about what we do for a living is that despite the fact that like that, the world is that we do it for a living. Well, that's what's funny. Yes, exactly. That we've, that we've somehow made this into a whole lifestyle that, you know, I'm watching the news about horrific things that are happening in the world. And yet I'm yeah. sending emails about like lighting designs. And did we get the David Austin florals and, you know, right. and it's a, such yeah. a strange juxtaposition between what's happening on the yeah. outside world and what's happening internally for our clients. Isn't it? I know it's, it, it it's crazy. Um, I'm doing the same thing. I'm thinking, well, we need to have a cocktail tasting because this client, they want special cocktails. Right. And then, and then I turn on the news and I'm just like, Oh, forget the cocktails. Right. <laughs> Although, you know, we can't forget the cocktails. That's, this is the juxtaposition of our life these days, I suppose. But that's not what you're here to talk about today. You're here to talk about using your experiences, your past experiences for future success. And I, I love, I, I am a, hmm, I'm always a fan of like learning from our own stuff, right? Like I'm, I'm also, I read a lot of books. I take a lot of courses. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm educating myself in all the ways, but I feel like we learn the most from looking back on our own lives somehow and being like, oh yeah, 13 year old me could not have imagined 46 year old me now. Although maybe she could have, if I really look at it a different way. Do you feel that about your childhood? Well, so I don't know what I wanted to be when I was a kid. Really? And I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to be at 25 or at 35 or at 45. And I grew up you know, with a father who, who kind of always said to me, whatever you do, be happy. And it doesn't matter if you do something else. You just got to be happy. So I have a string of, of long careers, 10,000 hour plus careers that I've kind of connected to end up where I am very happily right now. I love that that's what your dad's advice for you is just be happy. I feel like that, that wasn't a benchmark that I, that I saw when I was younger. Like I didn't, I don't really, looking back, I don't know if I knew anyone who was like thrilled with their career when I was a kid, you know? Yeah, fair enough. I, my father wasn't. Oh, and that's um, why he, he gave was that an, advice. He, he was an eye doctor and he told me when I was a teenager that he had wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh, wow. Or a historian. And he grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he wasn't allowed to do that. It just wasn't an option. Yeah. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. 
And so he wanted to encourage you to always do whatever that would have yes. been for you. So what was the first, so yeah. even though you didn't as a child say, okay, I want to be an astronaut, right? What was the first career you found <laughs> yourself in maybe despite your plans? So the first career I found myself in was fashion in New York City. Amazing. I, I answered an ad in Women's Wear Daily and I ended up uh, meeting a designer named Mary McFadden who was was and is still quite the character from the old New York, the old New York wasp families. Uh, she was a Mortimer, whatever. Oh, wow. You know, the, <laughs> that is old New crazy. York. That's New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we're talking McFadden, Mortimer, you know, all these old, uh, old families. And she, at the time she was a, a, a major American designer. And I, I spent, a few years just traveling around the country doing trunk shows. Um, and I was 23 and um, I'd end up in Los Angeles, Dallas, Tyler, Texas, Tulsa, all the you know places that I had never been basically. And my job was to take care of these very well-heeled and wealthy women uh, who would come and shop for their wardrobe via these trunk shows. I didn't even know what a trunk show was when I was growing up. What was a trunk show? Yeah, middle America or middle age, middle middle class people don't know trunk shows. <laughs> right. They don't, they're like, what's right. that? Someone and, comes to you? What is, what? Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and for years, my father never could get her name right anyway, which I thought was wonderful. <laughs> uh, I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't have cared less. Right. Uh, but that's what I, so that was it. I found myself in this fashion world and it was great. I had the best time. Who wouldn't? 23, jet-setting around the country, in New York City. It was amazing. It sounds amazing. And I can totally see the thread between that and what you do now. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm one of the few, I put this in parentheses, uh, wedding planners who knows how to fit a gown. That's right. And and how to fit a tuxedo, yeah, uh, or help or help a client order a custom a custom suit a tuxedo. That's I, I would say that's probably exceedingly rare in our industry. Yeah, exceedingly rare. Uh, I think so too. So I uh, one of the things just not not to get off topic, but I one of my favorite things is taking my clients shopping if they're open to that. I, I imagine they would be once they know your background, right? Yes, but but you know, it, for us, for brides, less so for 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 grooms, but for brides, shopping is a, is 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 a terribly uh, self conscious ordeal to go oh, through. Yes. And, and they and their mothers or their sisters all want to go with them the first time, and I just say, well, look, if 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 you're hiring me and and I'm doing everything then we're going alone just the two of us oh just for a couple hours i like that and then the next time you get to go with your sister your mother all all these other people have their own agendas in their head they do they and they and they will say to a woman oh sweetie no that's not the right dress for you you know your <laughs> back is has never been good oh honey you've got to you 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 should you got to hide your neck all these terrible things. Yes. And I grew up as a fat kid. Yes. Uh, same. <laughs> and a very, very 
you know, I hate that stuff. I, I, I can't stand it. So I, I encourage my clients to try on anything they want and everything. And then we look at it and, we, and I'm, I'm, I'm real with them. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is great. Oh, you know, that, that doesn't really suit you. Stand back and take a look at yourself. They appreciate that honesty because I don't have any agenda. That's right. Just, I didn't know what they looked like as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I also think too, a thing that's happening, especially in, in the fashion aspect of wedding planning is that some of our brides and grooms are, and who knows, you know, anyone getting married, they spend so long on Pinterest looking at gowns and what's hot right now. And, well, yeah. you know, what the new fashion, the new, you know, waters line that came out. I remember when I was getting married, there was this one dress I was absolutely obsessed with on, on the internet, right? I found it and I was like, oh, this is my dress. I have to find this dress. It was like a, it was a waters gown and it was a two piece. So you could like, the bustier was different than the gown, the, the skirt. And, you know, I'm a plus Great. size gal. And I was like, well, that's good for me. I'm going to find, and I'm smaller on top. So I was like, well, I'm going to do it. And we tracked down this dress and we went, I'm from New York city originally. So I knew I was going to be dress shopping in New York city, but we went to three different salons mm -hmm. in New York. Can I tell you, David, I found this dress and I looked like a farmhand in this dress. I could not have looked less glamorous or confident in this in this dress. I some somewhere online, whatever I loved about it online, once I had it on my body, I was like, oh, no, this is all but wrong. You, but how lucky was that that you got to try yes, it Yes, very lucky. Well, I'm also and tenacious see, as hell. So I was like, we're finding this gown. But I'm very <laughs> glad I didn't buy it. And I'm also glad that it was it was the first dress I had I had tried on. Because I was like, it's going to be the one. And then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we went to Kleinfeld's and did that. I wish I had yeah. had an impartial third party because I remember very, very much feeling at Kleinfeld's a lot of pressure to pick a, to pick something, to pick right then and, and a pressure to cry and, you know, all that pressure. Anyway. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love a tangent. Um, I love, and I also love talking <laughs> about fashion because now as a grown ass woman, I love fashion. I follow, you know, I follow Paris Fashion Week. I follow New York Fashion Week, bridal and and regular couture. Like I'm all over this thing now. Um, but I think that also has to do with it being more accessible online, especially through the pandemic. But I would imagine that that is such a selling point for you when you're talking to a potential client, right? Well, sometimes it is. Uh, at a certain price point, and this is something that I, I, we're obviously going to talk about. Uh, at a certain price point, the bride and depending on her age, her eyes will light up when I say, look, I'll, we want to go to Monique. We want to go to Vera. I can list six others, uh, Claire Pettibone. And we're just going to try stuff on. And if there's enough time, I don't know about you, the longest I've, I've worked on a wedding was 18 months. Yes, that, that is my cap. Uh, After uh, 18 months, I'm like, I love you, but not that much anymore. We got to go. <laughs> After 18 months, they have to buy me a yeah, car. Yeah, my patience runs out after 18 months. 15 months is my sweet spot, but oh, nothing more than 18, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when you have that kind of time, and if the budget allows, oh, and, and, and let me just say, I, I don't believe that wedding gowns or tuxedos are part of a wedding budget. Oh, thank you. I don't agree they're, they're either. Just, it's just, it's just crazy to me. Yeah, I agree. Let's put it on the record. We both agree. Take those right out of the budget. Yeah. So when there is that time, then there's there's less pressure, and if there's money, then anything can be done. And I don't mean I'm not talking about crazy. I just mean, look, if you need to go to New, fly to New York to Kleinfeld's, do it. Yes. Yes. That's I would all. say for, for anyone listening, Kleinfeld's is an experience that I'm glad I had. I just didn't buy my dress there. <laughs> 
it was too much. It was too much pressure. So, so you were in fashion and then what career did you have after fashion? So from fashion, I went into art, the art world in New York city. I became a, I, I ran a gallery in Soho that had branches in New Orleans and Tokyo. And I became an art dealer. I had, I was, I was a collector. Then I, when I left the fashion world, uh, the owners of the gallery that I frequented asked me one day if I wanted to come run their gallery. And I said, no. <laughs> I was going to say, did you have any, I, any trepidation? Yes. Yes. You said no. <laughs> yeah, I said, no, I said, no. And then months later, Renee, they asked me again and I, I called one of my brothers and he said, well, what, what, who else asked, offered you a job today? I said, no one. He said, well, what about tomorrow, next week? I said, I don't think so. He said, then what are you waiting for? Take the job. <laughs> and, and, and that, you know, and that ties back to what I was saying about my dad and it ties back to my whole point of view on life, which is say yes. Oh, I agree with you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Just do it. So you got into the, so when you, so when you left fashion and went into art, like what was the learning curve? Like, was there a learning curve or were you already pretty enmeshed into the art world? Well, that's a great question. I wasn't enmeshed into the art world, but I, I was a salesman. I, I sold clothing in high school and then I worked my way through college uh, in a men's clothing store in, in Washington, DC. So I knew how to sell. Yes. And you know, the art world is maybe the one of the three or four most treacherous worlds uh, of commerce that one can be involved. Is with. it really? Because because of competition? Yeah. It's no, because of theft. Oh and, right, of course. And hundreds of years of forgeries and of all sorts of duplicitous things that go on. Now, I'm not, we were, I'm not saying that I was part of that and I wasn't, nor the people I worked for, but I learned all about this and that was fascinating to me. That is fascinating. And the other thing was fast, that was fascinating was finding out what, what made people happy, what they responded to. And looking at art is a very emotional thing. It is. And so I always said, look, you know, you should buy what you love. The first rule of art is buy what you love if you're if you're a collector even if you're a kid and you see a poster that you love it buy the poster yes yes and that that just goes on forever it's just no the second rule i always had there were the second rule was uh buy the the, the best that you can afford and the th third rule was buy it from me <laughs> so, well those could all pertain to wedding planning Obviously, all book, of it. Book yes, the vendors that you love. Everything. Get the best you can afford. Work with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you're absolutely right. I love what you say about the poster. I have. I'll tell you a very brief story about myself. Is that I'm. You know, I grew up very, very, very lower middle class in Brooklyn, right? So there was no art collecting in my family, of course. But I've always been an. I was always an art. Uh, an artful child. I was always a performer. I always appreciated art, and I remember um, in my. I think I was like 18 and I was in San Francisco with my mother and we were walking through one of those tourist traps on uh, the pier and we were in this yeah. poster. We went to this poster store. I don't know. I think we were just, we were just like window shopping and there was a poster 
a, a poster print of this painting and I'm going to forget the artist, but it's basically like um, what looks like a bride and groom uh, dancing in the, in the shore, on the shore, like in waves. The name will, the name of the artist will come to me at some point. And I remember I gasped. I literally went, oh, that's so beautiful. And it was just a poster. And my mother goes, well, what are you going to do? Like, I said, I know I gasped and I said, I want that. And she was, well, what are you going to do with it? Because at the time I was on tour, living out of a suitcase, <laughs> you know, I was everywhere. And I go, I don't, I don't know, but I just want it. And so I, I purchased it and I sent it back to New York with her. And eventually when I moved to California in my first apartment, when I was 25 here, I paid at the time, which was, you know, a tremendous amount of money to get it professionally framed because I didn't want the border that said the artist's name. Like I just wanted the the art. And to this day, it hangs in my yeah. bedroom. Like it's just one of those things that I saw my go. heart that's, connected that's to it. And it's now it's there. And I always think about it sometimes about how funny it was that I connected to something that looks like a couple, looks like a bride and groom. And now I do what I do well, now. Well, there, there, there must be something in right? that. Right? <laughs> anyway, buy the poster, yeah. guys, and then spend a fortune to get it framed. That's my... <laughs> Right, because because no one knows how much it costs to frame that's, things. Yeah, I I didn't when I was a twenty five year old idiot, and I took it to the frame store. Like, I want this to look pretty, and they were like, "That'll be six hundred dollars." And I was like, "I what? Um, what? Like this poster is, was twenty dollars, but you know what? I still have it all these years later, and I still love it. So for me, in the in the end, it was worth it. But um, yeah, I think oh, God, just run toward the things you love is always the right answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you, and if, and if you change your mind, fine, change your That's mind. Right. Try something else. So how long were you in the art game? So I was in the art game for about uh, three years. Um, and then I left that and I actually fled a, a relationship gone sour. I had asked uh, a girl to marry me and that didn't work out. So I, went west oh i also moved to california after a bad breakup <laughs> yeah, yeah sometimes you just got to get out of the city man you gotta start over <laughs> absolutely but i but i will say that i came here expecting to be an art dealer here i i, I came thinking that i would be a private art dealer and i was for about six months or so i sold one painting in six months okay and then and then what happened yeah. what did you transition to the I was living in a friend's uh, guest room, and he was a producer, and he offered me a job as an assistant location manager on a motion picture that was shooting in Minneapolis. Okay. For the great sum of seven hundred and fifty dollars. Oh each. my goodness! <laughs> and I took the job. Oh well, sure. I didn't know anything about it, but it didn't matter. And so then you were up out in Minneapolis scouting locations for how long? Well, I drove to Minneapolis. Uh, so movies can be about six months long from the very first uh, when it gets up in pre-production until it wraps and it's a location manager. Location managers tend to be early hires and last people who depart a film. So I did four or five years of that. Um, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion was one of the more well-known movies that I was the location manager. Amazing. On. I'm sure all of our listeners know that movie. And if you don't go look it up yeah. on Netflix, it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. It, it, it just had its 25th. Oh my gosh. Is that true? Yeah. Oh my Lord. Yeah, how old yeah. am I right now? Good. Well, how old am I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm 39. 
So as a kid, it was, I did all this before. I started work when I was six and a half. So wait, I also can see the thread though, between location, scout and wedding planning. Yeah. Well, and, and so part of it, one of the great things about being a location scout and then being a location manager is that you get to interpret written words and things on the page and the job is to find something that matches that, that works for the director or the production designer. So vi- the visual senses are so important. Yes. And, and just being able to understand and also not be tied down to any one thing. I was able to make a presentation of something that may not have been what is said on the page because the director wants to know, well, why did you choose this? And then one can make an argument for something. And that's just great all the time. That's just a wonderful ability to have. Yeah. And the being able to interpret interpret what someone says versus what they mean, <laughs> which happens a lot, I think, with our clients, you know. Um, oh, that's the, you, Renee, you just hit it on you know, the They head. say like, oh, I want it's... rustic elegance. And I'm like, I, okay, well, what does that mean to you? Because those words don't, they mean 8,000 different things to 8,000 different people, right? So uh, getting to be the, the uh, you know, scientist looking at those words and saying, okay, well, what, what are we taking out of this is sort of the same thing a location manager or location scout rather would do. Absolutely, and and then and then having done work as a location, uh, in locations, that's another tool for being in the event world and the wedding world. That's true. Because what's the biggest part? What's a big part of our job? It's finding the venue. Finding where. Finding the venue. Right, finding the venue. Yeah. And, and then sometimes, if and then also selling our clients on why this is the right venue, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And if it's if it's a field uh, out in Malibu somewhere. Then, then being able to say yes about it and tell the client, it's okay, we can do this. I, we can build a kitchen. We can put up lights. We can put a tent in, build a dance floor. This is not a, none of that's a big deal. Right. We do it all the time. Right. We do it all the time and it's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Brilliant. And then did you go from location scout to wedding planner or was there something in between? No, <laughs> it's funny. There's something in between. Um, I became an advertising executive in the mo- for motion pictures. Interesting. I uh, I led a creative team who made the key key art is what movie posters are called, and I didn't know that. I, I learned that again. It was something I had no idea what it was, and a friend said, "Hey, you should go meet this guy." And I said, "Okay." And I went, and uh, he, he ran an ad agency, and I didn't really know what they did. I didn't know what an art director was in that world. I knew what an art director was in the fashion world and in the fashion world, but not in the advertising game. So I learned that and I, I might spend another five years or so, five or six years doing that. Amazing. And that was horrible. Um, It was just, uh, well, imagine you, imagine you work for a studio, Renee, and you're like the vice president of, of, of marketing, but you answer to someone and she answers to someone and she answers to someone. And you call me up on a Friday afternoon and say, Hey, David, you know, I love, I love those comps you sent over, but we can't have any blue, no blue. And I need a whole new round by nine o'clock on Monday morning. Oh. And it's 
6 p.m. on Friday. So. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> really yeah. Crazy. That's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and uh, no yeah. and no social life whatsoever. Right. Yeah. And 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 who you know she doesn't know why or he doesn't know why there's no blue because someone above them said no blue. Now, 50% of the time that poster ended up being blue. So being able to then show them the following week what they wanted, what they asked for, and then what they didn't think they needed, which more often than not was what they ended up with, is also a great ability Well, it also feels, have. I imagine when it's that sort of a, like a circuit of decision makers, right? When it ends up back at blue, you're like, well, I just, why did I just waste my week <laughs> doing all this? No, no, no. It's, it's just keep your mouth shut <laughs> and send them a bill. Right. Okay, so how did you get from uh, advertising, which you did not like, to wedding planning, which you love? I was fired from an agency. I had just brought in like three major films and the scripts were on my desk. Uh, they thought they were paying me too much money. Uh, they weren't. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> and uh, I ended up uh, sinking into a depression for several months. I was just, I, I, as much as I didn't like the stress, I liked being part of that world. Yeah. And I woke up one day and I thought, well, what can I do? And I thought about nonprofit world. And I enrolled at, in UC, at UCLA. They have a, a school past uh, the normal graduate level. Mm -hmm. And they offered a certificate in nonprofit fundraising and development. And I signed up for it. It was a two-year program. And it was fascinating. I loved it. It was helping people. Now, everything I had done up until then, Renee, I wasn't helping anybody. I mean, there was no argument that could be made that we needed anything that I had done. <laughs> I guess uh, that's fair. Fashion, yeah. you know, fashion, spending thousands of dollars on art, movie posters, this stuff just didn't matter. It, it, it really, at the end of the day, it, it didn't. But helping others did. So this was, this was a great wonderful education for me and during the course of that a friend asked me to plan a wedding and i said yes so that wedding was amazing i had to actually ha hire another wedding planner to, to for the last month because i was supposedly a guest uh. Uh, on the on the wedding day, yes. which was we've all been there. Yes, the friend, yeah, the the friend who asked me also said, "Well, if the police come to the door one more time, they're taking you." <laughs> I mean, that's honesty, is what that is. But yes, yeah, this was in Beverly Beverly Hills Flats on a Sunday. Oh, night. yeah, um, there's a lot of rules. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of rules, and the Elvis impersonator I had flown in from Las Vegas as a surprise uh, was on stage. So amazing. But it was great. It was amazing. And I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, well, we never, the, I had no, the first ones no we never idea. know. We're just like, you know, someone looks at you and says, you'd be good at this. And you're like, um, okay. I mean, that's how I started. Exactly. And I learned a lot. Kristen Banta. Oh, I love Kristen uh, Banta. Was, was, was the person who, who, who I very fortunately was able to hire with her entire team. And she just taught me like a ton of stuff. It was great. Now, did you know Kristen from like, some other part of life? No, 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 no. She was recommended. There were a few planners that were recommended to me. 
And I met with them and then I introduced them to, to the bride. And the bride said, well, David, whoever, you know, you think, you know, is best. And uh, I thought it was Kristen. And, no surprise uh, there. So, we're, we're, you know, fortunately, we're, you know, we're still friends and it was amazing. And uh, that was it. Uh, I said, to, I know that I said to her at some point, she asked me a question. She said, well, are you going to keep doing this? And I said, well, no, are you nuts? I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and then, then the next wedding I did was in England. Well, so, uh, yeah. How can you say yeah. no to that? You can't say no to that. No, it was fat. It was wonderful. I mean, we, the, that we get to make people happy, create magic and be part of these amazing days is it's hard to express that in words to people. Yeah, I agree. You know, there, I mean, there's, there's crap that happens along the way. Every time. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but, you know, screw it. So when you started doing weddings, uh, you know, with your company in, in, in earnest, right. What surprised you most that first year when you started planning? Did, was there anything that you were like, wow, I didn't, I never knew about this. I think the things that surprised me most were a lot of the things that I didn't know. So in all the worlds that I had been in, I had been part of planning fashion shows, art openings, lots of events, and, and especially in the movie business. As a location manager, if there was a scene in a movie that called for a party or a wedding, it all had to be found somehow. So I had done that, but I had done that not really paying attention. And when I realized how many moving parts there were to actually producing a wedding, (laughs) it was, it was, you know, amazing. I just, I just didn't know. And, And that, that everyone, not everyone, but that all the key, key players like, Department heads, let's say, the caterings department, photography, videography, florals. These are all department heads. They're all experts. Yeah. And I decided early on that I wasn't going to be an expert in everything. I didn't need to be an expert in everything. I wasn't selling myself as an expert in everything. Selling myself as a curator of fun, of incredible events and of dreams and i knew all the other experts which in turn made me an expert that's right i I, may be hard to follow but and i think i think we are like that we people have to trust us and they have to trust that we have good taste honestly like that they they have to trust that we know what's good yes we exactly that we know what's good and we we're not trying to get them to spend more money or to do something they don't want to do. We're trying to manage their expectations and create something incredible for them. And they have to trust us. Yeah. I think what surprised me most when I first started was the, um, the psychology of it, like the, cause I'm the logistics stuff I've always been good at. I came, you know, I came to this from catering. Those who listen to the show a lot, they know my, my backstory, but I came into this from catering and theater. So logistically I'm solid. My first year as a wedding planner, I was really surprised at how much kind of life coaching I was doing with my clients, right? They had a fight with their oh, mom. God, they had yes. a fight with their maid of honor. Oh, God, yes. You know, my yeah. mother-in-law wants me to do this and I don't like it. And what can I say to her? And can you tell me what to do? And, and I'm like, oh, I, um, 
okay. And like, like I said, I was raised really lower middle class in Brooklyn. Did I know etiquette? No. Did I learn it? Um, hell yes. Hell yes. Yes. Fast. I have so many etiquette books in this house that, I mean, I just, I was just like, well, like I do everything else, I'm a lifelong learner. So how how am I going to teach myself? And granted, there are some etiquette things that I have decided to dismiss because they're patriarchal or bullshit, but I needed to know the bones of it because I wasn't raised that way at all. Well, and, 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 and that's very fair. There's so much out there that, that is in fact crap because it's been there for hundreds of years. There's no reason for it though. It doesn't have to be that way. And in there, and these relationships and families are, look, they're all screwed up. Yeah. Mine was. Oh yeah, mine is so, totally. <laughs> so, so we spend a lot, as you said, beautifully, a lot of time as a psychologist, acting as a psychologist, listening to a bride, listening to a groom, listening to a mother-in-law, a mother-in-law-to-be, which, which is not an easy task. Oh. Um, and then I don't care what it is. I once did, I think, 27 floor plans for a wedding um, for the mother of the bride who had two huge notebooks that she had started when her daughter, her oldest daughter, was, you know, not quite a teenager. Everything, chairs, candles, tables, linens, you name it, she had it in that book. And that was really tough for me because if it wasn't in the book, she didn't want to know about it. And if it was in the book, it could have been ancient material. That's right. And that, and that also is, on your end, a lot of patience. Yeah. Well, in that case, I did almost, I did really come close to throwing my phone out the window <laughs> one day. Just the one, and just I the also one day? <laughs> Yeah, well, I also called the bride one day and I said, look, your mother's driving me insane. She's batshit crazy. And uh, and at the end of the day, I turned out really lo- lo- loving her parents. Yeah. They were they were they were lovely. She asked me, too. She said, well, David, we're doing all these floor plans. She said, well, how do you see the room? Where are you when you do this? I said, I see the room from the center of the ceiling looking down. Mm-hmm. I look at it. The dance floor, the tables, uh, how they look. That's how I see it. And that, that that was an epiphany to her. Because how was she seeing it from standing up? Well, she was just seeing it as we need 12 people at this table, oh, yeah. and eight at this table. Yeah. And of course, and, and I, I couldn't expect her to see it the way I was seeing it. And it was my job to kind of explain that. I think it's hard for our clients too, because, um, well, one, they don't have the lived experience of, of seeing an event on paper, then seeing it come to life. They've never done that before, mostly, but they also, it's, I think it's hard for a lot of people to visualize in the way that it's never been difficult for me to visualize. Even when I was a kid decorating my bedroom, I could, I could close my eyes and see what I wanted it to look like. And I didn't know that that wasn't a skill that everyone had. Exactly. Exactly. Some people can imagine things. And some people can. Have you seen that it's, that meme that's going around? That's like I think I saw it on Twitter. It says like think think of an apple, and if your mind gives you a a, a delightful three D beautiful red shiny apple with a green leaf, and you know that's one kind of brain. 
if your brain gives you like a red a red circle with a green slash, that's another kind of brain. And if your brain gives you the word apple printed out black on white background, that's another kind of brain. And I, I mean, I remember it was during the pandemic when I was like doom scrolling Twitter. I looked at it and went, I've always just seen the full apple, like a 3D apple. And then I'm like, some people just see the word what apple. Color? What color apple? What color apple? Green, red, delicious. Like I grew up with. Shiny. I, I would see, I would see a Magritte green. Mm. Oh, I do love a Magritte green. Yeah. But isn't it funny that some people just see the word apple? I, I, I don't even understand. Me either. That. It's bananas to me. <laughs> How do you get through life like yeah. that? I don't I don't know. If they if they had seen a banana and not the word apple, that I would understand. <laughs> maybe they just see the word banana. <laughs> it's it's a I don't under I maybe those are the you know what we need those people because they're the ones who are like doing my bookkeeping and stuff, I imagine. They're the people I'm hiring to do the parts I don't want to do. (laughs) But you love them. That's right. I I value them. I just don't understand it at all. So I want to talk to you about about taking chances versus playing it safe. Because as you tell, you've been telling your story so many times you've said, well, I didn't know anything about it, but someone else said, Hey, you should go do this. And I was like, all right, you have taken so many chances. Do you think that's something that's just part of your DNA? Were you born this way or have you learned to take chances because you've taken them successfully over the years? I don't know that I was born this way. Um, and I don't know how successful I've been. Well, you're with still here, friends. So I think that's. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, st- I'm still here. But, but I, I think, and, and I've met people who I have friends who I grew up with who have been doing the same thing for 25 years. Um, I can't imagine that myself. But I think that taking chances is one of the most important things that we, we can allow ourselves to do. It's, and I don't mean necessarily you have to be a rule breaker, although that said, I don't believe that, that rules need to be followed, especially when it comes to what we do, events, weddings, I parties. I think, I think that's just bullshit. You know, what, 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 do you, what do you mean you have to throw a bouquet? Fuck that. You don't have to, you have do, to do anything. All you have you to do have is to get do, married. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. Right. And I say, and, and the fact is, I say to my clients or potential clients, I say, that all you need to remember is that you love each other. And if you tell me you want to do a city hall wedding, I'll do a city hall wedding for you. If you tell me you want to elope, I'll help you elope. Nothing else matters. Yeah, I wonder if our clients really do understand, because I have the same philosophy as you. I don't really care how much they spend. I want to get them what they want. And I want to, I don't want them to feel good about what they're spending money on. Other yeah, than that, I, I don't mean, care. I don't care. Right. If they, if they say, we are gourmets, we want an amazing meal, but we only have X amount of money, then I'll say, then I might say, well, let's cut the guest list. Yep. Let's make it an incredible thing for 50 people and we'll do everything you want and send, forget the 200 people. Screw that. We don't need two. Who knows 200 people anyway, to start with. (laughs) Well, my big Italian family might, might beg to differ with that, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Fair fair enough, but you know what I mean? And then those 200 people each will have a half a person that they want to bring with them. And I don't mean a half a person. You know what I mean? (laughs) Another people. Do you think that over the years, as you've tried on these different careers and then, you know, evaluated, like, is this right for me? Do I still like this? Do I want to do something else? 
Do you think that has led you to, um, I guess, more of a sense of self than you would have if you had not had these different experiences? Wow. Um, I am pretty sure of myself. Yeah. I mean, as someone who knows you, but... I think, yes, that's true. Like, I see once you once now that I know all this about you, I'm like, yeah, I see all of that in David. Like all of all of these careers like live in you. But I have regrets. I mean, there were, I have regrets. And oftentimes somebody will ask me, well, if you could choose anything in the world that you wanted to do, what would it be? And it it, it wouldn't really be a wedding plan. No. I mean, I, I, it would be something else. What do you think? I think in my idealized mind, I would be an art dealer in like the, from... 30 years ago when when most great art was sold out of the out of somebody's office mm. i'd have a gallery things would be hanging there for people to look at and buy but the real great art would be in my office or in a in another room where clients would come and relax that emotion it's just it's just it's tangible it's right there mm. But I can't do it. I, I couldn't couldn't do it because I, I I thought I figured out one day, and the way I wanted to do it would would have cost a million dollars just to set right, it up. Right, right, right. But I mean, and, and that's just was crazy. In a but, way, we get to make living art for people. Oh, absolutely. You you you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, I do think you know, especially in the last two years, being through this pandemic that continues. I'm not ready to say it's over yet, even though. I don't know. Everyone's acting like fools, like we're, like it's over. Um, you know, I think what you said earlier about what we what we do is meaningful and it it is special and it is something that not everybody can do, frankly. Well, no, you're absolutely right about that. And and I don't know about you, but I I shed a tear at almost every, every wedding. wedding, not because I messed something up, <laughs> but because I'm like I'm standing at the back, uh, holding the timeline. And all of a sudden, I, I'm seeing the bride and groom from how far away it is. And I just, my, my eyes tear up. It's just like, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do yeah, that. Same. I, uh, I can't, I can't and, really relax up until they're down the aisle. So once everyone's down the aisle, <laughs> then I'm like, and then I'm, able, then I'm more present to the moment of the ceremony. And then, yeah, every single time I have a, or like I have this sense of like, how how did I get here? Like, how privileged am I to be here at this moment, to witness this moment that not everybody gets to see, you know? I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, 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 li I, I like to get past the toasts mm. so that I'm sure that nobody uninvited gets up and speaks. <laughs> That's just one of my little things. I won't even give a microphone to someone who's not on my top. Oh, yeah. Who, who hasn't seen me look at them and go, you know, two minutes. You've got two minutes. That's what I say. You have two minutes and write it down and I'm not messing around with you. Two minutes is two minutes. Right. And, and don't read it off your uh, phone. And, uh, yeah, and let's, and let's don't drunkenly at the end be like, I love you guys. Like, no, Oh yeah. yeah no, yeah, no, yeah. no, no bad stories. No, this is not about uh, you. Same. Keep it short, pithy and get That's off right. the stage. Get, we're just trying to get to dessert friends. We'll keep it, keep it moving. Right. Keep it moving. Right. right. Um, well, you were just trying to keep this wedding on That's schedule. right. Okay, so look back at David when he was in his twenties and he was doing those trunk shows for the for the fancy ladies. Yeah. What is one thing you wish 
you knew then that you absolutely know now? I said no a lot oh. when I was younger. I mean, my, my default answer was, no, we can't do that. Mm. And that was wrong. It took, uh, it, it took some serious therapy um, and just learning more about myself to be, able to, to be able to say, yeah, we can do that. Let's try it. And part of my, my saying no right away was I had to be right. Oh, interesting. And I learned I didn't have to be right. And I didn't have to know everything. Yes. So I could say yes. Because didn't it, saying yes was like all of a sudden this wonderful thing. And who cared if I didn't know it? I was going to learn something new. And you said it before. You're reading, learning new things. It's all about learning. I love it. When you said you used to say no a lot, I thought, oh, good boundaries, David. But I know what you mean. It's that, that, it's that reflexive no to keep you safe. Because you can, if you're doing things you've already done, then that's safe. Right. I mean, now at this point in this career, I am learning to say no, but to say no to people who don't value what I bring to the party. That's right. And that is something that during the pandemic, I spent a lot of time reading about and, and just, you know, I couldn't even say yes during the pandemic. Right. Like, <laughs> you could say them. nothing. So, <laughs> yeah. so, right. And, and, and quite honestly, I wanted to come back to work. But I also wanted to come back to work being valued. Yeah. 100%. So being saying no now is completely different than when I was younger in those early careers. And I would just say no automatically. No, they're to two totally different yeah. things. Yeah. I think the lesson of learning or, or being able to identify who values you um, is something that comes with the years of experience. But also, I do think it's one of the more important lessons we can all learn as as wedding pros, because this job is too hard to do it for people who don't appreciate it. You're so right about that. And isn't being a wedding planner or an event planner like in the top five things of the most stress-inducing careers? Yeah, it's like air traffic controllers, like surgeons, yeah. and us. Planner. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. But then you think about it and you're like, well, yeah, because how many nights do I still wake up in the middle of the night? Like, oh, God, rental order. Oh, God, the ice. Like, And it's things that I've done, but my brain just likes to play on auto, like on repeat. Like, oh, you got to finish that design deck. Like, my brain just won't shut off. And I'm, what, I'm 12 years in, you know? I like to say, nothing I do is rocket science. Nothing anybody else does is rocket science, except rocket science. That's right. <laughs> so, you know. One of my clients, though, I don't did did read me read me to filth on that one because I said something. She overheard me say something, uh, and I was saying it to my clients in a way to like kind of dispel the stress. This was um, this was actually during the pandemic. I did exactly one event in a client's private home for 15 people in their backyard and we all got 15, yeah, 15 okay. people, one five, and we got yeah. privately tested. It was a, it was an experience. Um, they were a family of means because they had the means to do all of this, you know, when I said something yeah. to the, the, the bride specifically had a lot of uh, anxiety, uh, crowd anxiety. She didn't want to be the center of attention. And I said to her, look, we're not curing cancer here. We're throwing a party for you. Like, it's not, exactly. you know, and I, I kind of wanted to be like a little, I was trying to be like witty and like off the cuff. And later, the next or two days later, when we finally loaded out of these of this house, I was walking to my car, and the mother of the groom, the house was at the groom's 
uh, parents' home, she kind of came up to me and she's like, I know I'm not supposed to hug you. <laughs> she's like, but I'm going <laughs> to hug you anyway. And she's like, you said something that oh. really upset me. You said that what you, what you did isn't important. And I just want you to know that what you do is the most important. And she like showered me with love and praise, which in that moment, I literally just started crying in the middle of the street because I was like, <laughs> well, I, I've got chills right now listening to it because that's wonderful. She saw you, she recognized you for what, for who you are and what you did. Yeah. Especially in that moment of um, yeah. n- not being able to to connect and be with each other, it was very, very, very special. Yeah. And it was um, I was grateful forever for that moment because it's a family that I deeply love and would do anything for. Um, and just knowing that you know she heard me and wanted to make sure that I knew right that wanting to make sure that I knew I was important. And you know I think we all feel that, especially now, right after coming out of this, like we just want to make sure that we're doing what's important for our clients and what's important for us as well. Absolutely. So what would you say to someone right now who's thinking about a risk and they're not sure if they should go for it? What's your words of advice to those folks? Well, you know, depending on, on, on their age, I would say automatically do it. What have you got to lose? Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you just do it, and and I've always felt that when you start a job or start a career, well, when we when we used to work in offices, <laughs> that it it would take the first six months you figure out how to even get to work on time, and 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 where the bathrooms are and what to order for lunch. So that's the first six months of any job, and then the second six months of figuring out what you're doing there. So a year goes by in a flash, yeah. and that's something that I that I that I've learned, and I stress to people that work with me that just time goes by so quickly. So yes, do it, and if if after a year or two years you're not happy, try something else. Now, if that person happens to be fifty and they have three kids at home, and uh, the husband is doing something else it's a different story it's it's you've got to weigh everything or one has to weigh everything Uh, i still am am all for taking the risk me too me too i'm a risk taker i always have been i don't know well i guess i shouldn't say i've always had been as a kid i was very risk adverse but now i'm with you i'm uh i'm try it you know you're a smart cookie try it see what happens wait so as a kid were there foods you wouldn't eat um, yeah, I, I was, I, <laughs> I've always been a creature of habit. So once I like lock into a habit, like as a kid, I was known to eat like the same lunch every day for a month until my mother was like, Oh my God, no more <laughs> bologna sandwiches or whatever the hell it was. It was, right, okay. it was. it was a lawless time. We could eat whatever we wanted. Um, so I was always much, I was very much that, but I mean, like I was, as a kid, I was like afraid of roller coasters. I was afraid of flying. I was afraid of bridges randomly living in New York city. My poor parents, every time we got on a bridge, I was like, this is the end. And they were like, what is happening with this little anxious child? Now, I think what happened now, as I grew, as I grew older and grew into my, you know, owned a business, owned another business. Now I'm, you know, in this, in, in this wedding industry and education industry, it's like, yeah. you know, at the very least, I know that I can bet on myself. Right. Like I know, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm definitely not good at, (laughs) but I can at least bet on myself. I'm a hard worker and I'll figure it out. I think that's, I think that's an amazing attitude. And I, I 
I, I feel the same way. I mean, don't ask me to set up your computer. <laughs> I'll screw right. it up. Don't ask me to fix your car. I, I don't even know what the lights yeah. mean. It's like, I don't care. That's why there are experts. Right. Uh, Malcolm McDowell. Uh, not Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell. There, I was like, isn't he a sci-fi actor, Malcolm McDowell? Yeah, he's yeah. an actor, right. <laughs> uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about it. It's fascinating. Trust the experts. You and I are experts at what we do. We have earned the right to call ourselves experts. Trust us. I want to be surrounded by experts. I want my doctors to be experts. I want the guys that take care of my car at Pinkies around the corner. They are experts. Why wouldn't I trust them? I love it. I don't know if I don't know if you can hear my cat started meowing when you said I'm an expert. She was like, "Yes, me too." <laughs> she never makes a noise when I record, and today she was like, "Nope, I'm coming to this party." So if you heard my cat, that was Beth. Um, well, she knows. I'm she, a cat <laughs> she was like, "Oh, my people are here." David, thank you so much for this. Uh, you are full of knowledge and wisdom and all the good things, and I appreciate you being here with us today. Oh, this has just been so much fun. I, I can't believe it. I know. Over. It went so fast. Where can people find you on the yeah. internet, David? Shout out to all your social media, your website, anything you want people to, to follow you on. On Instagram, it's at depressmentevents. Uh, my website is davidpressmanevents.com. And I'm in the process of having a new site designed. We, I've chosen the design, so it, it'll be about a few weeks before that comes up again. Nice. Uh, Twitter, the same thing, although I tend to tweet less wedding things and more political or sarcastic <laughs> things. My Twitter is a hot mess. Uh, I don't even tell people I have a Twitter. I'm like, if you find it, you find yeah, it. I, if you don't, be, you don't. I, it is I, what it is. I'm with you. I'm not giving it out. <laughs> uh, in fact, you know, after after the pandemic, um, you know, Lisa, Lisa said to me, you know, your Instagram has to stop. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you just can't, you can't keep posting things that are so political. So we made a deal. Instagram stories. I'm allowed to do anything I want on Instagram stories. Love it. But Instagram posts are more in line with what I well, do. Well, go follow David on Instagram. But, people. But, we'll put it all in the show notes. You can link yeah. it right, right there. What did I interrupted <laughs> you? What did you want to say? I was just going to say, fuck them if they can't. That's right. Fuck them. I put crazy shit on my Instagram story. I have a whole Instagram highlight on my Moxie Bright events Instagram that's called ethics. And it's just me yelling about people, about people who are, don't, don't like believe in this, like who are bad people. Like it's, it's unhinged and I'm never going to take it down. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Oh my. I'm we could do a whole that. other episode just to talking about other bullshit. You have to come back sometime, David. Yep. I'd love to. Friends, thank you for listening. You know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say two things today. I'm going to say one. It's been a while since I've told you to go rate the podcast. So please go do that. When you give us a little five star, a little love in the comments, Apple really likes it and so do we. But most importantly, I'm going to thank you for spending your time with us this week. I know your time is the one thing you can't make more of. And I'm always very grateful you spend it with us. We will see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now, friends. Thanks for listening to Talk with Renee Dallow. Dive into the show notes at reneedallow.com forward slash podcast and connect with Renee at Talk with Renee Dallow on Instagram. 
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.